Welcome to the Superpower Success Podcast. At Keystone, we believe exceptional organizations don't just happen. They are built by focused leaders that recognize their authentic leadership superpowers. Join us for a serious dose of inspiration. Welcome, everybody, to the Superpower Success Podcast. I am your host, Jamie Tates, and we are back for yet again another amazing episode. You are going to love hearing from my guest today. Uh, He and I have connected. There's definitely just an energy connection and how he thinks as a leader in his journey and what he's learned along the way, like many of us. There's a lot of things you do right, and there's a lot of things you do wrong, and all of them are learnings. He's also a member of Strategic Coach with me, so uh, we get to meet together with CEOs around the world and really learn from each other, and that's why I wanted to bring him on this podcast. So David Mansilla is the CEO of ISU Corp., and he's going to share some some wisdom bombs with you. So definitely uh, tune in, make sure you download the episode, and uh, and we're going to get started. So David, thank you for being here and for being part of the podcast. Hey, Jamie, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So I would love for you to just start. I know a little bit about your journey. Our listeners don't. So if you just start with like, how did you get to this level of success? Like, what's that journey been for you to to achieve the levels of success that you've achieved? By making a lot of mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's just going to be the, the theme for the entire podcast. I love it. <laughs> yes. No, I opened my business because I wanted to achieve freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, believe it or not, I was not motivated by money. At the beginning, I was motivated by just being able to control my calendar. Right. That's all I wanted. I wanted to be able to, to schedule my day the way I thought it was best for me. Yep. Uh, so it was mostly freedom of time. And uh, it took me a while, a long time to actually achieve that, even on my business. Mm-hmm. A long time, I think. So I've been in business since 2005. I run a software consulting firm. So we basically build uh, software applications for businesses to grow their net profits. Right. So we do a lot of financial systems, medical systems, laboratory, you know, software systems, stuff like that. Um, but at the beginning, it's funny because I was I was working in corporate. I was on high, you know, high levels of management in corporate on IT, large IT departments. And I was doing, you know, with commute 12 hours a day, 11 hours a day. I did that for 10 years. So I'm like, a lot of those meetings were not necessary. A lot of the things that I was required to do um, were a waste. And I think the bigger the company, the more that happens. And it's okay because a, a, a big company needs to move slow. It's the only way they can move. So they're too big, right? You'll never see an elephant out running a cheetah, for example. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, so I jumped into business in 2005, uh, 17 years ago. And uh, four years into the business, I was doing 16, 17 hours a day of work. So it was the opposite. <laughs> and I remember one day I was so frustrated. I got home around midnight from, from seeing a client. Back then, we were going to the client site to perform our, our consulting job. I was building a large system insurance uh, insurance platform, a group benefits application for, for a multinational as a, as a company. And when I got home, I, I just told my wife, I, I don't know what I'm, I'm like, what I'm doing. I'm, I'm working more. I'm making less money than when I was uh, 
you know, as a senior level leader in, in these big corporations, I'm working more and I'm seeing you less. And a week later, she gave me this little statue of an angel that says, you know, eventually you, you will find freedom. And I still have that angel in my, back in my office, you know. And uh, it's crazy because it took until, it took until 2011 to realize that I was doing it wrong. So the story goes, uh, in 2009, I actually got into a partnership. So um, I took on a partner to run the business. So we were two small software consulting companies. We made, made it into a big one. And we, we grew quite fast. My partner knew how to sell and I knew how to deliver exceptional software. I knew how to write software and how to scale in terms of hiring good developers. So we went from like, I think we were combined with about nine people we went to from nine to 110 people in two years. And I didn't slow down. In fact, I worked even more. Now I had to travel, you know, every, you know, twice a month, every every five weeks I was traveling, every, you know, every two, three weeks sometimes. It was exhausting. And uh, I forgot about the freedom of time and I just focused on the money. And it got to the point where my heart and my brain were not in sync. They didn't talk to each other. Until one day, my heart said, I don't want to work for you anymore, brain. And I had a heart attack. <laughs> it was a mild heart attack. It was an angina. Um, but that was in 2011. It was in February 2011. I went to my, after all that, I went to my, my, my local doctor and she told me, David, you are 40 years old. You shouldn't be having these conditions right now. And, and it's because you are not living the life that you're supposed to live. So you have two choices, she said. I'll, I'll give you these opioids, and this will allow you to keep running the way you're running. Uh, so it will lower your stress, but you're going to get addicted in three months. And you were probably going to come back here you know, two, three years later with a more severe condition. Maybe an aneurysm, right? What's next, right? Or change your lifestyle. You're a young person still. So I quickly realized that what I was doing wasn't worth it. There is no money in the world that will replace your health. You know? Yes. If you remember what Steve Jobs said in his deathbed, he said, you know, I wish I could pay somebody to take my place and nobody can take my place right now. He was a billionaire, right? right. There is no money in the world that will give you back your health. So I decided to split, split the relationship. I, I, I left my partner with the biggest contract and uh, I went back to five people. I reduced, uh, I didn't know whether I was going to survive or not because the money we were bringing in from my side was not significant, not, not enough to even pay the rent. But I took a, I took a small sabbatical. So I, I told my wife, let's go, let's go one way ticket, wherever, as far away as we can. And uh, she took us to Thailand. So we took the kids out of school. We went to Thailand with, uh, without returning tickets. And we ended up, I ended up staying there for a month. I took the pills for one week and then I didn't need them anymore. Cause I went, I, well, it was in the South of Thailand. I learned how to scuba dive. And that was another advice that my doctor told me. She said, David, you need to find a sport that will teach you how to breathe. You learn how to breathe, you will, you will prevent your panic attacks. And without panic attacks, you will not have another heart, uh, heart attack. Because it was a panic attack that caused the heart attack, right? Yeah. Um, so I learned how to scuba dive. So 
I was hyperactive still, right? So instead of just relaxing on the beach with my family, I was, you know, I was doing four or five dives a day for two weeks. Uh, so I will leave the house at 7 a.m., the, the Airbnb, and I will come back at 4 p.m. every day. <laughs> Scuba diving all day. <laughs> but it really started the healing process. Right. Um, a friend of mine had given me a book uh, by Tim Ferriss called The Four-Hour Workweek. Mm-hmm. And I had it collecting dust. And I took that book with me on that trip and said, you know, I better learn this. I don't know what this is about. But my another friend of mine changed his business to the point that he had a lot of freedom in his life. Um, so I, I read the book. It was amazing. And I started applying the lessons. I read that book like four or five times. And so I said, okay, I'm going to come back and, and see what we can change. The one thing that happened, though, is that while I was on, on vacations, uh, I didn't look at that. I didn't see my email. I, I didn't turn on my phone until I felt better for my heart. Like I, my health was better about four weeks into the trip. I opened my computer and I had like a thousand emails. But about a hundred of them was from an old friend of mine. And he was he was a senior VP of software for a big company here in town. And they were struggling to finish uh, one of their projects. And they were they, it was going bad. They were losing millions of dollars. So... He said, where are you? I need you. I need you to talk to the CEO. So I ended up having a call from Bali. Back then, I was already in Bali, Indonesia. And I had a call with this lady. And two days later, we were signing a $1 million contract. <laughs> so this is this is why it's like, just like makes my heart, like also because of where I'm at in my business. Like this, you hear these stories all the time. And I think we think like, oh yeah, that's like for the book he's going to write, right? That's not like the way it actually works. But when we quiet our minds, when we give ourselves the time for clarity, right, the ideas come forward, the the universe, right, produces kind of what you need versus when we fight every step of the way, it's like it turns off the energy flow for ourselves to others, right, the energy that flows to us. And I, as I hear your story, right, I can relate to so many leaders I've talked to, both entrepreneurs and leaders and organizations about fear. And we make decisions based on fear. So you very easily could have just taken the opioids and said, if I don't do this work, right, the business is going to go under and you could have lived in fear instead of taking a step back. Mm -hmm. How did you make that decision? Like, how do you like in the moment? Because so many of us, if we put in that, like, it makes me wonder what decision I would have made in that moment full of fear. It's one of the hardest things that that I've done in my business life is giving away an eight figure business because we were making eight figures. And we were doing exceptionally good profits. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had it easy. So I'm a Christian, so my faith is Christ. And uh, I finally learned how to surrender. But I was forced to surrender to the medical condition that I had. But I had no choice. I mean, Jamie, listen, I could have kept going. I couldn't get this, this opioids, got me back on track right away. But then I, I thought, what difference does it make to become a multimillionaire? If I'm not going to have the health to enjoy, right? Or the time to enjoy, right? I've seen, like, you know, since then, I, you know, my, my circle of friends are all very successful entrepreneurs, and some of them are still in the rat race, right? Like, they might be with a $100 million net worth, but they don't have a day in the, in the year to take vacations because they are stuck in this mindset, and it's just mindset, right? It is so for me, the decision was easy. Mm-hmm. It was about recovering my wife and my kids. I didn't see them for four years. Mm-hmm. I didn't see them. Like I will see them one day a month, maybe. 
right? Right. So recovering my family and also recovering my health. I, I, I knew I didn't want to go back into the hospital with a more severe heart attack that would probably would cause an aneurysm. There is no money in the world that can pay for that. So for me, it was easy. Like, I'm done. I said, I'm done. You know, like I told, you know, my, one of my best friends, he's my VP of operations, even back then. And I told him, Felix, if this, if, if we don't make money and we have to shut down, we all, we all smart people, we can go get a job. Right. Getting a job at that point was better for me than running a, you know, a multi-million dollar business that was killing me. Right. It's such a beautiful reminder. And I mean, it, it's more dramatic than we hope, right? Most have, but it, it does take that sometimes. It, it takes, a, you know, something dramatic in our lives to make us really take, you know, pause and say there's there's got to be a better way. So I want to talk about kind of your journey throughout these businesses, right? And the ebbs and flows and partners and not partners. And when you look back over the course of your entire leadership journey, is there a moment that really formed who you are today as a leader? Is there something that happened that like made you kind of change and grow as a leader that you can remember? Yeah, learning to surrender. So, and we'll go back to the faith, right? Uh, when you surrender and you realize that you're not really in control, everything starts happening for you. And it's, I know it sounds weird, but it, is not. So I'll tell you what happened. I got the $1 million contract. That validated my victim syndrome that said everybody was wrong and I was right and I was the victim and I didn't have anything to do with this. I wasn't acknowledging that I had a lot to do with my condition, if not everything. So I got the $1 million contract. We I scaled back to back up to 20 people. Uh, we were doing, we did great in 2011. In 2012, we, I brought even more money, more business. And then everything started, started to slow down to the point that by, 20, by December 2012, I was losing money again. And I was back to working 15 hours a day. So I remember between Christmas and New Year's, I always take vacation. And I remember on December 27th, I looked at myself in the mirror and said, what am I doing with my life? I ha I did not learn anything from the last thing. Because now I already I had another 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 company that I didn't like. I didn't want to go to the to, to job. I didn't like the people that were working with me. I'm like, and then I looked at myself, I was 40 pounds overweight, and I have half my hair was gone because of I I wasn't stressed again. So that's when I realized that it was me, right? I'm responsible. So you know what I did? I read that book again, The 4-Hour Work Week, and I joined the gym. January 6th, I started my gym membership, and I downloaded a program from the internet for a 12-week transformation program by a trainer called, called, called Chris Getting. My nephew was into this, and he told me, right, you should follow this program. Uh, it was severe, like intense. And I'm an intense person. Uh, I like to go all in all the time. So from working 15, 16 hours a day, I was working together, maybe 20 hours a week, uh, maybe 15 hours a week. The rest of the time I was at the gym working out and preparing seven meals a day, following the program. But the program was one hour a day. I made it four or five hours a day. Mm -hmm. 
because I was just walking and started listening to mentors. I tried to find mentors online, like spiritual mentors mm -hmm. and also business mentors. Uh, and when they started speaking through, you know, just podcasts like this, that's why I love podcasts, right? Mm -hmm. Through podcasts like this and, you know, conversations on TED Talks, listening to people like uh, Joel Austin, for example, or, or George Meyer, or people like Richard Branson on the business side, Tony Shea. I started listening for the pe people that I admired. I remember two weeks into that, into that transformation, I started breaking down and started crying and crying to the point that I was so embarrassed that I had to buy hoodies. So people would not see me that I was crying when I was running on the treadmill. And since then I still wear hoodies. I fell in love with hoodies. I always wear hoodies now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was 2013. And, and by April 30th, I had lost, I went from 200 pounds to 159 from 30, 32% body fat to 10% body fat. Wow. And how much, you know, it, 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 that was you putting in the work, but it was also the stress release, right? I mean, what our bodies do when we're holding on to stress. And I think so many of us are walking around, right? It, with these health issues that are actually, I hate to say, right, our own fault and kind of the environment we're allowing ourselves to live into or not live into, um, and the other thing that I just keep hearing is that idea of commitment. And we see this a lot with, with leaders is everything you're saying makes sense to me, right? It's good for me. I should be thinking that way. It's whether or not I can get committed, like truly committed, that, uh, you know, getting up in the morning, doing what you, people's commitment is tested all the time. And I think a lot of us believe we're committed to something when we're not really truly in our souls, committed, whether that's me developing as a leader, whether that's getting healthy, right, whatever it is, but how did you maintain that level of commitment? Because it's hard. Yeah, it's, uh, it's so hard. You know what, actually, I, I did is um, from 20, having 20, 25 people, I reduced the team back to 10 people again, like again, right, like trying to, to rediscover myself. I stopped selling and I stopped marketing. And I joined a leadership course. It took me a year. Uh, um, and it was this, it was beautiful because this course was especially for people like me, high-end technology people that want to become leaders. Because I realized I was not a leader, I was just a, an awesome computer architect, a software architect hmm. that happened to be an entrepreneur, but I, I knew nothing about leadership, nothing about culture, nothing about values, company values and personal values. So the physical transformation was like nothing compared to the to the emotional transformation, to the to the spiritual transformation that I had. Learning to surrender to my Creator, to to to, to Jesus Christ, learning to to follow His ways, and know that I would be provided. Because you know what? You remember the million dollars? I did nothing to get that contract. It landed on my lap, mm -hmm. and that's what I'm telling you. Learning to surrender, right? Right. What's what's my life plan? The only I believe, truly believe that the only reason why we're on earth is to fulfill our life purpose. We have a purpose in life, and we just gotta we just gotta figure out how to do it. How by becoming better people, by learning more, by by growing your faith, right? right. Uh, so I took the one leader one year leadership course, and a miracle happened. So moving back to December, I graduated in November, the the, the last week of November. December, we had to run payroll, and we usually do payroll two weeks before so we can get our people with their bonuses and their salaries before Christmas so they can have their Christmas presents. 
and we had no money. It was the first time in my business life that I had no money to pay to do payroll. And everything was exhausted. Lines of credits when they were exhausted. I was so strong. I had such a coherence in my heart and my brain that I knew God was going to take care of it. And my office manager, that she's still with me, she's been with me for 16 years. She started crying. I remember it was December 12th. She started crying, David, I need to run payroll. I don't have any money. And you told her, a miracle will happen. Don't worry. And I swear, I never swear, but I swear to God that I was <laughs> not worried. And I never swear. I've had this confidence in my heart that something was going to happen. <laughs> the following week, I got two checks from the government in the mail. Two days before we needed to start running payroll. I had forgotten in Canada, we have this program called SRD program. So basically what you do is if you're advancing technology for the betterment of the country, the government will give you back money, uh, tax credits for the project up to like 80% of the project cost that you, that you spend. I had surrendered for 2010 and 2011. My, I, I, like, so I had actually, I, I applied for two years and I never heard back from them. And the checks got there two days before payroll and the checks were big enough to do all the payroll for November, no, sorry, for December and January. Just like that. And she was like, I can't believe it. And with the payroll, we had enough for January. And in January, we got another client through LinkedIn. So this guy was actually looking for me. Uh, he was a senior VP for one of the largest laboratories in Canada. And he needed my help to build a laboratory management system. He looked for me on LinkedIn. I, I went to his office like January 15th. By 1st of February, we were working on another multi-million dollar project. But this time I learned my lesson. Yeah. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't go back to your old ways? No. And by the way, they are still one of my biggest clients. That's amazing. So as you look at this journey, right, I want you to describe for me today, standing here, who is the leader that you are today? How would you describe yourself as a leader today now, given everything you've learned? Yeah, so for me, the most important thing is not to tell people what to do. The leader that I became is, is, the, is a true leader, the person who inspires people to achieve a goal. How do you actually get everybody together and get inspired to achieve whatever your leader is asking you to achieve without being, without manage, micromanaging, without putting, you know, penalties and stuff like that. No, the other way, how do you actually create an environment so good that your people are happy to do their job above and beyond what they are asked for? Mm -hmm. That's what I became. A leader is also a pathfinder. A leader is a person that when it sees an obstacle, a huge wall in front of you as a business, you know how to figure out the way through it, around it, or above it, or underneath. You can dig a tunnel, you can plow yourself through it, you can fly over it, and you can go around it, but you always find a way. So I have those two qualities. I'm being blessed to have those two qualities. And I think it's beautiful for you to right, to talk about the leader you were before was not the leader your business needed. It wasn't the leader you wanted to be. And I think so many of us, it's it's a struggle to admit that we need mentorship. We need conversations like this, right? And we we need to hear from others about how they've kind of how they've evolved to the leader that their company or right, that their team or whoever it was needed them to be. So as you stand here today and you look out over 
the rapid pace of change, right? You're in technology. You are at the forefront of the rapid mm -hmm. pace of change. You know, what is the biggest challenge you're facing as a leader today as you look out over 2023 and beyond? Uh, yeah, so one of the biggest challenges is the changing economy. We are at the beginning of a massive recession. Mm -hmm. And in recessions, actually, we're blessed because we're a consulting company. We build, we build software projects you know, on a project by project basis. So usually what happens in a big recession is that people let go of their full-time employees mm -hmm. and they hire companies like me to do the job because the job still has to be done. Yep. But the psychology of the people, the, like managing the psychology of your people, right now I'm blessed to have 60 developers in my payroll. And, uh, and you know that 70,000 people got laid off in Silicon Valley last month, 70,000 people already. Right. And this is just gonna keep happening more and more and more, right? Um, so right now my challenge is how do I keep my people motivated and let them know that it's not a day, it's not a time to be scared, it's a time to be aggressive. Because I also know that in recession is when the biggest companies in the world have been formed. Yes. Because what happens in recessions is a recycling, right? So all the businesses that were prospering just because the economy was good and they didn't have any foundation, those businesses go away. But guess what happens? All that jobs, all those jobs are up for grabs. For companies that know how to deliver good value right. under economic pressure. And that's that's what I believe we're. Yeah, it's a mindset. I just had this conversation with a client last week, right? Where their team is fearful and they're a healthy business. And the leaders are like, we're healthy, like we're gonna be fine. But there's this fear, right, that that is stewing in our employees, right? Because of, of the world and everything that they're looking at. And how can you? keep them motivated, keep them optimistic, right? It kind of solve their basic human needs when it feels like the rest of the world is kind of spinning around them. And I think that's the definition of a good culture is when you can make people feel safe and at home in the job when everything else feels unstable. Yeah. And and that's something that you do over the years, right? So I am blessed that I've still run in the company with the leadership skills that I've been developing. As you know, we have the best business coach in the world, right? I don't know anybody better than Dan Sullivan for, for us to learn how to run a, a self-managing company. Right. And, uh, and my whole passion is learning about culture. I never stopped learning about culture. Mm -hmm. And so I truly know now that culture is what keeps you or breaks you. Whether you think you have a culture or not, you actually have a culture. Right. It's just it's a good culture, a medical culture, or a bad culture. But every business has a culture. Right. Right. So, and we talk about culture being the leader's choice. So you don't have to have a deep background in all things, people in HR and development and, you know, all of that to be, a, to have a strong culture. I think there's the fallacy that you don't have that skill set, so you can't, but it's your choice and how you want to show up every day and the culture you want to fuel. And you know what? It's super simple. Again. I used to have, when I thought I had a culture, I used to have 12 company values, and nobody remembered an email me. Now I have three company values, gratitude, growth, contribution. So Beautiful. we are thankful every morning, every time that we actually run a meeting, we we, we, we say what we're thankful for. Every time we run a meeting, a meeting in the business. Then we're focused on growth, because without growth, we don't have a business. And lastly, giving back unconditionally, contribution is very big for us. Three values. Everybody can remember three values, right? I don't have to be a, a nature expert to do that. I have HR experts that can go and deliver that message. 
But even even in the, at the job interview process, we tell them, do you believe in being grateful? Do you believe in growth? And do you believe in giving back to people that are less fortunate than you are? And if they don't agree with those, we don't hire them, even if they're the best developers in the world. Right. Because you can never train attitude. You can only you can always train technology. Technical skills you can teach, but teaching right. attitude is very hard. It is. Totally <laughs> So for the listeners and the leaders that are listening, going like you know, they're inspired, right, by your story and by by how you've grown and evolved in, in your own leadership skills. What's one thing? Like as they head into the new year, right? It's a time of reflection. What's one thing that you would tell them to focus on to think about? For business leaders, focus on your people and the people will take care of you. It's that if you genuinely care about your people, if you don't look at them just as a cost center or just as something that you need to do to grow your business, if you look at people as people and you make them your real business family, I tell everybody I have a, a family called ISU Corp, my ISU family, and I tell them as brothers and sisters because that's who we really are. We really care. Like We care to the point that you know, people get sick for, you know, for a long time and we st they still get their salary. Or somebody, so, an emergency happens in their family, we are there for them. Not only us as a corporation, but even the other team members, they help each other out unconditionally because what? Giving is part of our values. So it just happens naturally. And that's what consultors are around. So, so that if your people are taken care of and they feel part of the family and they are part of the family, they will take care of you because if you have angry employees, you're going to have unsatisfied clients. But if you have happy employees, you're going to have delighted clients. That'll never go anywhere, which will sustain the growth of your business. I mean, right? It's, it's all tied together, 100%. Yeah. And I think uh, this also applies to people within our organizations, but it also applies to each other as leaders is like take care of each other. Right. During hard times and, and as we're getting through things, I just think societally, that's the piece we're missing is like if we just all slowed down and, and just took care of each other, it would be we'd be in a very different world right now. Don't don't make culture just a poster that hangs on your walls. Right. Make culture a reality. I'm going to tell you one story. Um, by the beginning of the pandemic, we lost half of our income like that. Mm -hmm. So I had a choice. I could let go of half of the, of the employees or we could all lower our salaries. We had to lower the salaries in half. And I asked, I asked the team for, tell me what you want me to do. I'm not going to make the choice. You make the choice by, by voting like a democracy. And everybody opted for lowering their salaries. And I didn't have to let anybody go. Right. Three months later, we recovered our clients and we got more clients and everybody got their salaries back. Right, but they did that as a team. That's culture, it right? Is. That's what that's the result of a good culture, right? <laughs> and this is why we do this. I mean, you know that right? we do culture work, but sharing these stories because this is what inspires other leaders to say, "You can double down on culture, and it will give you the returns." 
right? I mean, we're seeing that time and time again, and these stories show and prove that. So thank you so much for sharing all of this wisdom and your, your true honest and being transparent about your own journey, because I think we all learn from the good and the bad, right? The things that have worked and the things that haven't, um, and not just sharing the highlight reel, right? Of all of the really glamorous moments, because a lot of the learning and the growth is in the non-glamorous moments, as you and I both know. You're as good as, as your last problem and how you solved it, isn't yeah. it? I love it. <laughs> okay. So before I let you go, I want to get into that kind of our bonus round of questions. So this is just three questions, kind of non-leadership focused, but just to get a little sense of, of your personality. So the first question is, what makes you laugh? <laughs> Everything makes me laugh. Uh Seeing, seeing a smile in the morning when I come into the office, getting a hug from somebody at the office. Mm -hmm. You know what makes me smile? Having a relationship with the janitor, which we do, I do. And appreciating them just as much as the, as the best scientist in the company. You know what makes me laugh? Going back home and enjoying a beautiful meal with my wife, being thankful that we have so much. Yeah, oh. I love it, the simple things. So I know you're going to have a good question or a good answer for me. So we believe to lead well, you need to be well, right? So you need to manage your own energy to be able to be able to give that to others. What is one thing that you do consistently to help you manage your own energy? My, my daily ritual is the most important thing in my life. So People have this misconception that I, I only work four or five hours a day because I show up at the office at noon and I leave around 5, 5 p.m., 6 p.m. But it's because I have a ritual at home, right? So I wake up early, you know, I, I have a devotional, I pray and meditate in the world. Then I have a delicious meal, then I exercise. And if I don't get to exercise in the morning, I actually have a walking desk. So I'm always walking. I'm always taking care of my health. Uh, that's the most important part. If you manage, my, my, my grandma used to say something. If you manage your pennies, your dollars will be taken care of. So if, in terms of high performance, if you manage your hours in your day, your months and your years will be taken care of. It's a daily thing, right? Yep. You know that 90 day transformation where I lost all the weight and stuff? That was good. A year later, I was fine again. Right. right. Not as bad as before, but I was, I was, why? Because I wasn't consistent. And that's what happens with most people when they go on diets, right? They lose their weight and then they get it back and even more. Now I do it every day. Yeah. I have, if I don't take those four hours in the morning for myself, I cannot perform as well. And that's something that we learn, Jamie, right? Mm -hmm. That always says your free days will make you make more money because you're going to be more relaxed and you'll allow your brain to be better prepared to have the right to make the right ideas and take the right decisions. Right. right, instead of making them from a stressed, fearful place, which is where a lot of us operate, right? And, and so it's, how do you get out of that? So last question is, what does it mean to be ridiculously human? When I say those words, what does that mean to you? <laughs> As easy is realizing that we're all broken and we're just learning how to be better that nobody has the answers, that have be, you know, getting to know a billionaire is the same as getting to know somebody that comes and clean the floors, that we're all looking for something. We're yeah. all looking for something and until we find it, 
our soul will be empty, our heart will be empty. For me, it was faith, you know, finding where I'm going after this lifetime and, you know, and sharing and, and sharing the sufferings, especially, right? When you go through trouble, this year for me was a hard year, not economically, economically we, we did well, but personally, so much things, you know, have to be fixed, so many challenges. Mm -hmm. And when I come down to it, it's like, that's, that's what being human is, isn't it? Right. It's what a beautiful way to end this podcast. Like, how did I know you would answer that question in such a beautiful way? I just, you, I appreciate you being here, taking the time and your very busy schedule to just be human with us because that's where we learn. And it's how we're all reminded of to come back to center, right? And, and how we find that, especially this time of year. I think it can be wrought with stress or it can be wrought with joy, Right. And, and how do you eliminate the stress? And so thank you, David, for being here and for being part of our community. Now you're part of us. Um, <laughs> and to the listeners, you know, thank you for continuing to engage in the response we get in the, the dialogue we engage in with you is just these are making a difference. Right. They're helping you truly get back to center and help you realize what's important and how to manage your own energy. And that's, that's our goal with the podcast. So we're grateful for you. We're grateful for you continuing to come back and being here and we'll leave it at that. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you so much, Jamie. Blessings. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure and hit that subscribe button. So you get the latest episodes as soon as we release them. And remember to keep maximizing your unique leadership superpowers. It truly is the key to building success, both in your career and in life.